Hey, this is Kerwin, Global Head of Mobility for Hewlett Packard Enterprise and Chairman-Elect for Worldwide ERC. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership's Changing Podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today, and if we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. It is now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Hey listeners, I have a guest today, and his name is Kerwin Gilamo, and he is the Global Head of Employee Mobility at uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, and he also is the 2020 Chair-Elect for Worldwide ERC. His HR journey spans more than 20 years at leading tech organizations, and he is a, he's got a fresh voice, a generous contributor, and a positive influence in the HR and mobility uh, circles. He writes frequently on talent management issues. Kay Kerwin, welcome to the show. Hi, Dennis. Uh, Thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, it's great to have you here, Kewin. So, Kewin, I've just done a brief um, introduction of of you to our listeners. What I'd love you to do is just share a little bit more about your background. Of course. Thank you. So, uh, I'm originally from Manila. I signed my first uh, offer letter, one of only two in my career for Intel, uh, before I got my degree in the engineering, actually. It was a rotation program. My batchmates got into factory planning and logistics, whereas I was uh, asked to support them (laughs) from a training uh, capacity. Uh, And I took that slide as actually a motivation to find ways to enrich my scope, chase relevance, and by raising my hand for opportunities and studying leaders ahead of me. One thing led to another after that until I landed in a project manager role, uh, fixing what's broken, more like audit findings, and eventually putting up a proposal and standing up a shared services function. I was promoted like five levels in five years and I was the youngest at my level for multiple years. I eventually managed that shared services function until I I was called upon to do the same for Asia. Leading a massive re-engineering and series of consolidations and outsourcing projects. I led the highest priority initiatives for that transformation Along the way, I got involved in multiple site closures and factory startups. At some point, I was called upon to help prepare Dalian. It's a tier three uh, city in China to prepare that city for 300 expat families. 
no knowledge, no experience, uh, we were able to pull that off together. Uh, building homes in Dalian, similar to those of uh, from Arizona and New Mexico, setting up an American international school in the backyard of Intel, and so many other breakthroughs. After 13 years at Intel, HP found me, and I signed my last offer letter like 11 years ago for a scope very limited to talent mobility for Asia. That was good until like the second week of my onboarding when I told my leader that I can do this job in like you know half a day relative to my previous scope and I can do more. And that conversation, cafeteria conversation, led to a whole series of amazing. I was asked to set up the staffing hub in Manila. I immersed myself with multiple roles and eventually uh, was called upon to vie for the global HR hub. And that's, that's I think when I met you first. A year after that, growing Philippine HR from seven to seventy-five, I, you know, told my leader, you know, basically mission accomplished. And unless there's anything else, then I'm basically asking permission to answer the call of other leaders wanting to discuss opportunities. That conversation led to my move to Singapore, sharpening our analytics and insights to scale up talent acquisition. So we were hiring like 37,000, you know, level per, per year for multiple years. I was supposed to go global TA until I was persuaded to go full-time talent mobility instead with a path towards the global head of mobility role, which I eventually got in 2015. I'm so grateful really for the many blessings over the years. HP took a chance on me, an opportunity to play a role where my counterparts have always been based in Silicon Valley. We did some cool stuff along the way, transformation and multiple industry awards later that you know, eventually landed me into a board of directors role for Worldwide ERC. Then I was elected chairman uh, where this role has never been played by anyone who looks like me, nor has the role been based outside of the US for the last 60 years. I'm, I'm truly grateful. And I've taken inspiration from, uh, from Hamilton actually, where I tell myself, I am not throwing away my shot. So I earn the privilege of the responsibility every day to serve my community, my, my customers and my team. And that's that's been the the journey I, I've been through. Well, man, that's that's huge. What a that's fantastic, and thank you for sharing. So you earn the responsibility every day, and um, and I know you do. I know you're doing some great things out there, Kerwin. And you know, uh, for you to be able to go where you are, where you come from, or where you worked before in Manila in the Philippines, and then go out to do things globally on a global stage, it's been brilliant to see you do that. And, um, you know, gosh, wow, going from seven people to seven and five people and growing that, that, that was wonderful. The other thing too I wanted to ask you, so when we say mobility uh, for our listeners, that's just to explain. So then if somebody is going from, let's just say, from uh, going from Singapore and they're going to go and live in Silicon Valley, that whole transfer, setting them up, discussions around it and all that, that's the mobility side, right? Correct. So it's all about, again, if HR place within the pillars of attract, retain, develop, and hopefully motivate talent, mobility supports all of those pillars, 
at the point of attraction when we hire people from colleges uh, to mm -hmm. where we are, moving them domestic or international, attracting talent early in their career experience hires, trying to bring them into the company, moving them to where the jobs are, to where our customers are, and at some point moving them as part of their professional development. So we get involved across all of that, moving talent where uh, you know they, they need to be. Yeah, and I think it's a real testament to you and what you've done in your leadership and growing the organizations that you've grown and that you have now been elected as part of their board that you're part of the ERC and the first person after 60 years outside of the the United States, is that right, uh, and having a role there. So someone totally different, someone in Asia Pacific, and uh, congratulations on doing that. Thank you very much. Uh, Worldwide ERC is the biggest, uh, it's a not-for-profit not for organization, a trade organization that supports the global employee mobility community. Everybody in our supply chain doing this role is part of that community. We provide them a lot of support, access to knowledge, and uh, advocacy. Tremendous. Great. Well done. Hey, Kerwin, here's a question for you. Um, can you let our listeners know if who is your favorite leader? Now, this person could be alive or from history. So who's your favorite leader and why? I'll go all of the above and let me address that based <laughs> on uh, even fictional. And I'll, I'll address that based on how my journey in leadership has been influenced by you know a few of my favorites. Uh, well, number one uh, was uh, Ken Blanchard, Kenneth Blanchard. Uh, he was a lot of my introduction to, to leadership, to management, uh, the one-minute series, goal-setting, feedback, catching people doing things right. A lot of that still resonates to me until right now. And then after that, I, I recall my mentor handing me a book on uh, the art of war. And that's something I read through while attending the MBA graduation of my wife, but the better interpretation of the art of war uh, that appealed to me were those from uh, Robert Greene, uh, 48 Laws of Power or 33 Strategies of War. Uh, I like that approach. They curated lessons from history, leadership lessons, strategy lessons from history, and applied those lessons in current situation and some counterpoints as well. Then a mentor of mine, uh, number three, uh, Chin Tech, he's based out of Hong Kong, ingrained in me foundations on making goals clear and important, <clears throat> and then stakeholder management. I used this bar as basis in my career, even afterwards, thinking whatever it is I'm doing, uh, having that conversation mentally, if is this something that would impress him? So I use that to help me keep moving. Then I got into the Marcus Buckingham series and this whole focus on strengths and one thing you need to know stuff as a leader, as a manager, uh, that made a lasting impact on me. Acceptance, mm -hmm. self-awareness, sort of philosophy as I approach my journey. And then more recently in my talent mobility journey, I embraced uh, Simon Sinek's uh, Start With Why and A.G. Lafley's uh, Playing to Win. Understanding mm -hmm. that every journey starts with why and how that needs to appeal to many so I can bring many along through a journey. I believe that uh, inspiration is where it is, ins inspiration is there when we perceive them to be. So I've picked up a few as well from the likes of, uh, I know you like this guy, Harvey Specter and the Golden State Warriors <laughs> about dealing yeah. with adversity, figuring things out, right way to play, playing with joy. I, I just try to keep it more fun <laughs> that way. Yeah. Harvey Specter, what do you like about him? 
it's the figuring things out, the vulnerability, uh, exhausting all means possible. When a gun is pointed at you, you have right 167 ways of figuring things out. So I like that whole uh, mentality, relationship. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, and I think the good thing about, say, for, for our listeners, the, the Harvey Specter is a character that's in a in a um, Netflix type of or in a series of, called Suits, and uh, he is a senior law uh, partner. And just to see how, as you say, Kerwin, he goes through those different things. But the other thing is, is that the way he stays so calm at times, and the way he faces the ambiguity, the unknown, and the way he just actually handles it is just just wonderful. Hey, um, Kerwin, the show here is called Leadership is Changing. So if I say that to you, what, what does that statement, that that title of the show mean to you? Well, I'll take it a little bit macro first and then go back to leadership. I, I'd like to believe that everything is a function of the world we live within. The changes that happen to this world impacts humanity. And however we have seen the zigs and zags of that, I believe the best in humanity rises amidst the tougher times. Leadership shines brighter through darkness and harnesses the human spirit and celebrates progress. So whether it was in terms of the change, whether it was the Me Too movement or environment and sustainability or equality and social justice, we bestow a higher level of expectation beyond success at job one. An elevated level of accountability is the bar that society has set for leadership. Whether in business or nation building, the social contract is not what it used to. Tolerance is now demanded for more meaningful areas of diversity and inclusion rather than tolerance for poor leadership. There are times when I firmly believe we have better tomorrows ahead of us because as a people, humanity, we demand of ourselves and we demand more of our leaders. I can no longer get by with being satisfied at making my goals. Now people would have, you know, I have expectations of myself to be a force for good for my community and progress and advocacy beyond the hashtags. I've heard some other, you know, uh, sessions you've had where we talk about authenticity. And I believe that in the arena of authenticity, our actions as leaders is the currency we deal with. On a more personal note, <laughs> I'm a career first person and I'm motivated by a challenge never been done before or where others failed, but that changed as well. I learned to temper my appetite when I had a daughter. She factors into a lot of my career moves, uh, leaving my prior employer, saying no for a move to the US. Uh, I want to be a force for good in my work life so I can make her proud. And then hopefully, just hopefully, my actions will be an example for others so she may grow up in a society that can be more equal. And I, I've seen myself make specific, you know, specific examples, decisions on, for example, supply chain that I get to work with. I put a lot more emphasis in bringing in women-led, women-owned businesses into my supply chain. And another example would be you know, how I've uh, actually raised my hand to ask for uh, an initiative to do uh, I think the industry refers to this as a returnship. So I did the design, I led the design development and deployment of like a returnships project that was focused on individuals, particularly women who've been out of the workforce, whether to care for children, 
or the elderly, and they're trying to find their way back to the workforce. So we did a program like that last year, and we did a pilot in the U.S. and then later on in India, and just you know early this year, the whole cohort uh, was actually uh, you know uh, given perm jobs, and that also advances our advocacy in terms of women in tech. Wow, that's awesome. Good on you. That, that's great. And, and I loved uh, several things you just said there, in particular the piece about the women in business and so forth just talked about now. But the other piece that you said earlier on, which was around leadership shines best in darkness. And I think the times like COVID, the pandemics and other things like that, that's when we send the leaders who are real leaders are going to shine. And the other one you said, which was we demand more of ourselves and and our leaders, right? So we demand more of ourselves and our leaders. And then the other one was around authenticity. You said something around there about the currency. Can you, can you just explain that a bit more? So that's the currency that we'll deal with as leaders? What, what do you mean? Well, in an environment, social media, everybody gets to post, and whether it's Black Lives Matter or anything else, Me Too before environment stuff, uh, you see a lot of companies, a lot of leaders post stuff just because it's popular. I think society right now, our audience, can see through what's authentic and what's not. So in the current, in the arena of authenticity, the winners will be leaders who are able to show not just their hashtags, but actions that advances that advocacy. Yes, beautiful. So it's not just walking or just, just talking, it's actually walking the talk. It's actually the action that people take rather than just paying lip service to it. And I, I love it, Kevin. Well done. <laughs> That's that's excellent. Hey, um, how, how has your business or industry changed and what demand has that put on you and your leadership team? Everybody's disrupted. Uh, global crisis of any sort are always disruptors uh, because we are so interconnected and interdependent that what happens in one part of the world can impact and influence business and people in many other regions. There was mm. a time when you know, globalization and forging of relationships that primarily foster closer ties on economic policies and regulations have positively impacted the business case for mobility from WTO to EU to NAFTA to TPP. These were primarily trade-related and they eventually opened up borders for movement of talent as well. So when the ideals and aspirations of these relationships come together, we have broader prosperity. We have rapidly developing countries, BRIC, uh, increasing roster of developing economies and eventually low unemployment levels. These are positive disruptions that demanded more from employers as we competed to attract talent. We invested in culture as a means of retention. And this is where the rise of employee experience, I'd like to think, came about. Employers are forced to exhaust all means available to keep working their buy, build, borrow approach to workforce management. We have seen the rise of concepts like focus on core, outsourcing, focus on efficiencies, consolidations, and the sharpened focus on towards our labor pyramid and global footprint. However, when these trade treaties start to fall apart, their repercussions make their way to things like export controls tariffs as a means to compete for the same revenue between countries. And eventually, all of these, you know, 
make up a reduced movement of talent in line with the flow of trade. This is where we have been, we have seen companies roll back investments. An example was uh, when companies started moving their headquarters out of, you know, prior to Brexit. Uh, when they have to reassess the resiliency of their supply chains uh, because of what we, we've seen about uh, export controls prior to and during COVID and eventually restricted the flow of talent. We've seen the emergence of, uh, you know, posted worker directive, equal pay for equal work. Uh, in mobility, we frequently realize and react to these disruptions at its tail end. Some of the most significant disruptions in the last two years have involved immigration as countries increased protectionism. The challenge for our mobility community is to start finding these trends while there's still enough runway before it hits movement of talent. We need to raise our business acumen, stay close with our partners who could help us better interpret what bigger trends may help or harm our customers. We need to keep engaging with thought leaders in our community so we get to better understand perspectives and more importantly, find some nuggets of actionable ideas. This is like for mm. me sailing. It's like sailing with an understanding of winds and clouds as you prepare and steer around choppy waters. That, that's what we've, uh, we're going through right now. Yeah, we're going through a lot of those, those, uh, a lot of choppy waters right now in seas for sure. And um, so, with your industry and around the mobility space, and with a lot of the borders and that close and lack of travel and all that now, are people stuck in countries or are people still being looked at to go and transfer to other countries so that we have talent in other areas? Well, what's happening in that space? Uh, we, we have seen all, all of the above. Uh, we've seen people get stranded in countries because of border controls. And then we've seen people get stranded at times because of immigration orders. Uh, a recent example that you know happened in, in the U.S. or uh, some movement between Mexico and Canada that was restricted in the recent past. So we've seen all types of uh, those types of uh, disruption. And I mm -hmm. think, again, to be able to win in the game of talent mobility, we have to start focusing not just on how we do our operations and the transactions, but we have to keep investing in the space of advocacy to be heard, to have a voice, to be able to state what policies, what businesses are we doing in different countries and how that helps in nation building, uh, creating jobs. It's not just it's not about taking away jobs. Uh, I think the pie, the concept of that pie and countries competing for the same pie has become very different now. Instead of figuring out how to broaden that pie, people are competing way more fiercely uh, right now. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, yeah, obviously there is a lot of change, of course, in the mobility space, but in the way we work right across the world, for sure. Kirwan, if there was one thing you could change in business as a leader today, what, what would that one thing be? Ooh, one thing. Well, let me start here. While there are disruptions that we can control and others we cannot, the more important lesson I've learned from my leadership and experience is simple. The more grounded the leader is with their why, the better they may navigate through these disruptions. The adjustments will be in terms of the how and the what of their strategy and tactics. Uh, these actions can be assessed in a more orderly fashion and communicated more clearly to customers and stakeholders. So we sustain commitment from all parties while mitigating chaos. So being grounded on their why. 
And I have, again, I'm an optimist. I have confidence that we will find the positives in our next normal because often sweeping and positive change comes from a crisis. We've seen that. Uh, the global flu pandemic of 1918 helped create national health services in many European countries. The, the twin crisis of uh, the Great Depression and the Second World War set the stage for modern welfare state. These are unprecedented times, and I want to be counted upon as we collectively give rise to something breakthrough, and I'm counting on that. Yeah, I like it. Collectively uh, rise and, and be counted on doing that. So that's good. Hey, look, I, I think, you know, finding confidence on our next normal is great, what you're sharing there. And, um, yeah, there is a lot to happen, of course. But I love what you just shared. The more grounded with their why as a leader, then they're better able to navigate in these times. And, um, and that, that is superb, what you just shared there, because I think that's so, so good. If a leader... Listeners, if you can be more grounded in your why, what Kerwin is saying here is then you can be better off to be able to navigate in these uncertain times and the times where there is change happening and the unfamiliar ter territory. You're going to be able to navigate that through that really well. So, Kerwin, thank you for sharing that. Hey, um, here, here's one, and it's more probably from the from from a leadership perspective, but it's probably more from the other spectrum on the other side of, of things, and that is more from about the employee how has the employees' expectations of leaders changed? In other words, what, what do they want from leaders? I don't think there's one tangible, concrete thing. I, I'd like to look at it, you know, for it to be sustainable. It has to be about culture. I think it's, it's about having a set of beliefs that promotes a mindset, encourages behaviors, and recognizes outcomes. So I'll, I'll give a couple of uh, uh, areas in terms of what, what's changing, I think. Uh, well, number one, an expectation that leadership is able to accelerate what's next. And for me, that, you know, it's an expectation that we obsess our, over our customers by creating great experiences and helping them achieve success. And in doing so, we have an expectation to operate with, with a growth mindset, uh, one where we aspire to lead the market and not just chase. The other Part for me is an expectation of leadership that's able to make bold moves, to create an environment that fosters bold moves where we ask our team members to be relentlessly curious, to not just accept things the way they've always been done, to embrace courage over comfort, knowing that discomfort is necessary to expand our comfort zones to achieve true innovation. Uh, allowing ourselves to fail fast. So I, I think those are culture-wise the expectation. As a leader, it is important to approach all change positively because we will always have disruption, knowing that each of us keeps learning, incorporating the lessons we receive and collecting knowledge that you know helps us remember that uh, we have the competencies to address the challenges we encounter. It's also essential to understand and accept where we can improve as we move ahead. I remember the words of an early mentor in my career. None of us can know and do everything. But when we collaborate, we are a more formidable team. So it's it's about culture. For me, that's uh, where uh, the expectation is and where it should be. So none of us can know or do everything. But if we can collaborate, we can uh, achieve a lot. Um, yeah, fantastic. And um 
Team, I'm here with Kerwin and we're talking about leadership is changing and he is the global lead for Hewlett Packard Enterprise around the mobility space. He is also the global chair, uh, 2020 chair for Worldwide ERC, which is an organization that helps support people in the mobility space. And, and, and um, Kerwin, um, I've got a question here and that is, what makes a leader successful today in this fast-paced, ever-changing world? Ooh. Well, let me share some reflections in terms of you know what's going on. So these are evergreen elements for me. They are constant for me, no matter what the environment holds. So I've been through multiple periods of change across my HR career, and these essentials have you know essentially served me well. I call them my three C's. First one, customer at the center. We must stay close to our customers and understand how their why is disrupted. We find inspiration from and operate like first responders as we pay attention to where we are needed and keep adjusting the present so a situation doesn't get more complex or costly. We will not know everything, but we need to be counted upon to attend to them as first responders. If we fail to show up for the important moments, our absence leads to cost, you know, to loss of partnering opportunities for and with our customers. Customer at the center, second C, uh, command of our program, uh, whatever it is that we're doing, command of that program. Understanding the perceived constants and then building insights, understanding of trends and analytics. If we have that understanding between constant and insights, then we may better project how the variables, the ambiguities and uncertainties may impact our program. Because when we have that swift decision-making redirecting with purpose and speed, flexibility with our traditional norms, and an ability to build compelling business cases are all rising in importance as we prepare our customers and our programs, the team that we lead for the disruption and you know through the recovery. That's my second C. The third C for me is most important, a culture of collaboration with our community. And you know, just as we've seen governors in the US have collaborated with their counterparts across the country, and in the same way that the World Health Organization has shared observations and findings across countries, our HR community is most generous in sharing ideas and examples. Early on, before the pandemic gathered speed, I, I reached out to partners and leaders in our community, retired leaders, to understand you know, how recovery looked to them based on prior economic downturns so I could find inspiration for, for the present. I, I believe all the time we are surrounded by deep knowledge and experience, and sometimes we simply need to reach out. So three Cs. <laughs> yeah, great, three Cs. The three Cs are customer at the center, and that customer could be not just an external customer, it could be an internal customer as well, so customer at the center. Number two would be command of our program, and number three is the culture of collaboration of community. Um, so team, that's the three, that's essentials that Kerwin has just shared with us, the three C's there. And that's what he thinks that a leader who can be successful today in a fast-paced, ever-changing world is making sure they've got those kind of things in addition to other things he's already shared with us. So Kerwin, the, the question I've got here for you now is if I was to get you, you to get your crystal ball out and start thinking about the future, well, where do you see leadership being in five years? Oh, okay. So 
Well, first, I don't think anyone expects that we will snap right back to the way we did business before COVID. Some things will be the same, but we'll need to do a deep dive into areas like, you know, how best to use a changing workforce and leadership will need to roll the same way. I can see opportunities and better tomorrows. Why? Because, you know, we, we, we can be so resilient and resourceful. And, and from my perspective, approach leadership challenges so creatively, like, uh, again, three areas of reflection and coming from what we're going through. And just for old time's sake, uh, Dennis, let me coin this as EDS. So first, end game thinking. Leadership that is able to figure out what our end game is and redirect focus and resources with urgency. If we don't, if we are paralyzed by inaction, we are at risk of losing some of the value and relevance we have worked so hard to gain over the years. We must ask ourselves, how do we build resiliency? How do we respond to new risks? By playing offense instead of defense, we can confidently manage our way out of tough times. End game thinking. Uh, D, differentiation and diversification. Companies and jobs we thought were safe have tumbled and unexpected business booms have occurred, like the rise in delivery services and telehealth systems for those confined in their homes. We've seen companies innovate rapidly, repurposing capabilities to service current needs and leverage the environment. For example, I've seen, we've seen car companies producing ventilators or airport airline personnel deployed for contact tracing. In our current roles, we need to repurpose ourselves to leadership that is able to pivot, pursue value in tangential areas that harnesses the strength of the present directed towards new relevant purpose of the future. So that's D. S for me, most important, uh, a lot of selflessness. When we focus on helping others instead of on what's happening for us, we're operating at our highest purpose. Our, a, a common theme throughout this pandemic we've seen is the selflessness of humanity, the medical profession, essential workers, neighbors helping each other, companies exhibiting kindness and generosity to raise others up and so much more. It's like, it's the same for leadership, always. It is never about us. It is constantly about our customer and team members first. And that's especially true in the tough times. And whether we're pitching an idea, offering support and assistance, or just listening compassionately, gaining the confidence of the community we lead is more attainable when we come to our relationships with a selfless heart and mind. At the end of the day, humanity will continue to elevate their expectations of leaders. And I have optimism that you know there are many who will step up. Yeah, beautiful. So the end game thinking, differentiation and diversification and self selflessness. Is that the right one? Right the word to say? Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Hey, uh, Kerwin, thank you for joining us on today's show. Hey, if our listeners are wanting to get hold of you, where, where should they go? I'm uh, very uh, present on LinkedIn, and uh, they go through you as well. <laughs> okay, cool. So, listeners, if you want to get hold of Kieran, uh, check him out on uh, LinkedIn. And um, 
yeah, if you want to also just uh, feel free to send him a message on social media, but also reach out to me if you want to get hold of Kelwin. So Kelwin, hey, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thoroughly enjoyed having you on here and you sharing your insights and wisdom. Very grateful for the opportunity. More power to you, bringing the community together, being able to share a lot of inspiration with success, with storylines and narratives that would inspire. Thank you for what you're doing. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Kevin. So what we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown and the unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes when they're released. Feel free to download them, listen to them, put a review and a rating. Please feel free to share them with your family, your networks, your friends. And if there's any feedback you'd like to give me, or if there's a question you'd like me to ask our guests, or if there's a question you'd like me to ask on my freestyle episode every week, Ask Dennis, then feel free to send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. Hey team, look out for our Facebook group that's about to be launched called Leadership is Changing. Once again, listeners, hey, thanks for joining us on the show today. We'll look forward to talking to you soon. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 